In the United States, inequities between blacks and whites have been documented in health outcomes, ranging from infant mortality to homicide. One of the root causes of these inequities is structural racism, which compounds the health effects of poverty and other forms of oppression by concentrating poverty in black communities within racially segregated neighborhoods with limited health care options. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Ansel, Senior Vice President for Community Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center. As part of the journal's Case Studies in Social Medicine series, Dr. Ansel has co-authored a perspective article on strategies for addressing structural racism in healthcare. Dr. Ansel, could you start by explaining just what you mean by the term structural racism? The word racism is used in many contexts. There's interpersonal racism, the overt racism of what we saw, for example, in Charlottesville, Virginia, a couple of years ago. We talk about unconscious bias, which is the automatic ways our brains react to other people until we get to know them that could affect healthcare outcomes. And then when we talk about structural racism, it's about the ways in which the totality of ways in which societies foster racial discrimination through mutually reinforcing systems, for example, housing, education, employment, transportation, earnings, benefits, criminal justice, but also by the very design and nature of our healthcare delivery system. So in your perspective article, you describe the case of a black woman with breast cancer who was treated at a community hospital that probably wasn't equipped to provide the standard of care. So how did structural racism contribute to the type of care that that patient received? Well, institutions in underserved neighborhoods, oftentimes because of the payer mix of the patients, many more uninsured, people on Medicaid, cannot either attract a specialist or capitalize in the way that they need to, to provide the most current care. Things like racial segregation of neighborhoods and the concentration of poverty in racially segregated neighborhoods have placed people who live in these neighborhoods at a disadvantage when it comes to getting the best care for breast cancer. And we found this to be true in Chicago and subsequently has been corroborated across the United States, that where you live, dictates where you get health care. And when we compound that with historical racial segregation, which you have neighborhoods that are literally 100% black, and you have health care facilities that are underfunded, under-resourced, women who present with a potential breast cancer actually get worse care. Now, that's true if you're white or black in these neighborhoods, but because these neighborhoods are largely neighborhoods of black concentrated poverty, that's how structural racism leads to differences in racial outcomes. So the patient you describe ultimately benefited from being connected with the Metropolitan Chicago Breast Cancer Task Force and being referred to a specialist at an academic medical center. Can you tell us a bit about how that task force works and how it addresses the issues of structural racism? Yes. In 2006, a group of us wrote an article that showed the growing breast cancer mortality gap between blacks and whites in Chicago. And we postulated that this was not just biological, that it was actually structural in nature and structural racism played a role in this. The task force was set up to actually go into institutions and help those institutions measure the quality of care. And sure enough, we found differential quality of care with the higher resource institutions providing better quality care than the lower resource safety net institutions. 
But we did other things as well. We publicized this. We went to women's groups. We've held events across the city to make this part of the city's narrative. But we also placed navigators in hospitals that were under-resourced, and that allowed us to navigate women when they have a breast abnormality from a lower-quality, under-resourced institution into a higher-quality resource institution. This leads to better care, and that's what happened in the case that we describe in the article. Has the task force encountered any barriers to working with community hospitals and implementing these quality improvement programs? Well, the nature of structural racism is that it's a little bit like a river that's dug a deep course over many, many years, and it's very, very hard to overcome. So while we've been able to get into institution and improve quality, if they are under-resourced, for example, not able to buy a piece of equipment or not able to attract a specialist, there's no amount of quality improvement that can substitute for that kind of necessity. And so it's almost, when we talk about structural racism, it's structural in that it's been codified into our institutions by custom, by practice, by law, by the ability to raise capital. So it's not like there's an individual perpetrator. So we call it racism without racist. And it often can be described as inaction in the face of need. So you get these institutions that know they may not be performing that well, but they can't actually take action. And so the next woman comes in and she faces the same thing. The story in this article we hear over and over and over again. And while we can navigate women to quality, if they do have a breast cancer, now they have to travel for miles and miles and miles to get treatment. And that in and of itself, the transportation barriers, the distance barrier, perpetuates these outcomes because some women just can't do it. Despite those barriers to the work of the task force, could the task force model be applied in other areas of the country? Is it being applied in other areas of the country and to other diseases? Yes. Well, it's a great question. So the task force is a not-for-profit that came together, brought folks from different institutions and the community to tackle the issue of breast cancer disparity, not as a biological issue, but as a structural issue. And that becomes important because if you say it's biological, then we have to fix the women, versus if it's structural, we have to fix the system. There are three examples of this in the country that have been done in the past decade. One is the state of Delaware took colorectal cancer between blacks and whites, and by taking a systematic approach, virtually eliminated the racial gap in colorectal cancer. New York City did the same thing with colorectal cancer through the Department of Health, and we did this in Chicago through a not-for-profit. These problems of racial disparities are solvable, but only if we take on the idea that the solutions for these are as much in the way we have structured the delivery of services in our community. The model in Chicago can absolutely be done elsewhere in the country. In fact, we've looked at the effect of this in Chicago, and we've seen a 20% reduction in breast cancer mortality. The gap has been narrowed by 20% between black and white. We've seen the largest reduction in black breast cancer mortality among the largest 10 cities in the country. And none of the cities of the other nine cities have seen a reduction. So we think this is, can be done in other cities, but only when you get to the root cause. Because if you don't name the root cause correctly, and in our case, we name structural racism as a root cause, the solutions then become structural. And how do we make the system more amenable to the needs of women who are living in these high-poverty, under-resourced neighborhoods? Finally, what role then can physicians play in identifying and addressing that root cause, the structural racism, both in their own practices and in areas maybe beyond healthcare? 
That's a great question. Oftentimes, because the health outcomes for black people in the United States have been across many domains worse than that of white people, we've conflated those ideas to conceive of black people somehow being genetically or biologically predisposed to these illnesses. One way in which we can do better in our practice is beginning to look at clinical outcomes by self-identified race or geography or insurance status, identifying where the gaps exist, and then diving deeply into understanding the root causes for those differences. Oftentimes when we do this, we find that there are ways in which our systems are not being responsive to the needs of those who need more. And by doing that kind of work in our clinical practices, we can begin to identify both the gaps and then come up with solutions for them. But in a larger way, the current debate around uh, national health care, universal health care, but even a single-payer health care system where everybody gets the same card could go a long way to reducing these racial disparities because some of them are a result of poverty and lack of insurance themselves. I'm not saying all of it is, but a lot of it could be mitigated by that kind of work. So physicians working towards healthcare as a human right and universal healthcare in the form of a single payer healthcare system that treats everybody the same, regardless of their need or their conditions could make a difference. But we also have to take on the underlying problem, which is poverty itself and concentrated poverty as a cause of premature illness and mortality in this country. And we need overarching policies that mitigate against that. Segregation and racism just make it worse, but the problem itself is the toxic effects of concentrated poverty. Thank you, Dr. Ansel.